Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this Advent and Christmas season as we remember and celebrate your coming into the world. Lord, we pray that you would open our hearts to receive you afresh in a deeper way this year. And we can be so consumed with so much around us in our world. We need a fresh uh, revelation, Lord, of your love and your glory, your grace, your peace upon us. So, Jesus, would you do that this morning as we look at your word, we ask in your name. Amen. We are heading into uh, the Advent season. This is the first four weeks leading up to Christmas in the Christian year, the Christian calendar. And uh, if, if Christmas has become an especially frantic or busy time for you, and it's known primarily for its, its you know, <laughs> worrisome schedule full of events, though this year is much much easier on that front. I know our church schedule's a little less, and I think a lot of us staff are breathing a bit of a sigh of relief that there's a little less to plan this year. Advent is about celebrating the arrival of Jesus. Three arrivals, really. His coming into the world at the Incarnation, Bethlehem, which we'll celebrate on the 25th. His arrival in our lives through the presence of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, in the end of John, when he breathes on the apostles and says, receive the Holy Spirit. Advent also looks forward to the third arrival of Jesus, which is his arrival when he comes again, the arrival we're still looking forward to. It's a season of remembering the ways that Jesus wants to also arrive in our lives each and every day, that we invite him to come. We welcome his presence. We prepare our hearts to receive from him. It's a season marked with uh, expectant waiting and hopeful anticipation. I like to think of it as as sort of a season of getting our hearts ready for the arrival of a guest in the same way you might kind of get your home ready to invite friends over or family over for dinner. The other thing that Advent does for us is it helps us actually confront sort of the commercialization or the consumerism of Christmas that we see so often around me where right in the middle of kind of Black Friday sales, right? I thought last week was Black Friday because every, every, it was all over the internet. I was getting flyers talking about Black Friday. I was like, oh, Black we're done. It's over. And then Sarah, Sarah turns around and goes, apparently it's like tomorrow. <laughs> oh, man, okay. I can still go get that deal, apparently. But it just, it's like Black Friday now is a thing in Canada, right? Now it's like a week-long thing. It just keeps going, apparently. But Advent helps us sort of confront the rush and the busy and the spending and focus our hearts on Jesus. And I hope to do that over this next month, especially during the pandemic. I feel like it's dominated so much of our lives and so much of our attention, and rightly so. But I think as Christians, I know that we're called to focus our hearts and attention on the Lord. And this is a season that helps us to to remain sort of steady and calm and focused on him when there's so much hecticness around us. We celebrate that Christ has come and Christ is risen and Christ will come again. And so this year, chosen to look at 1 John as sort of the family letter written to fellow Christians. Some of you may have the family letter tradition. Maybe you receive Christmas cards with letters or you write sort of the end of the year reflective family letter uh, and it goes out and and these have a real range sometimes they're quite honest 
gotten some that were, you know, pretty realistic about, you know, hey, this year was tough. Some things happened. Here's what happened in the lives of our kids and whatnot. Other other people write write a family letter and it's it's just like this flowery thing as everything was just perfect, right? And you read it going, man, your life is amazing. <laughs> like My life is not like that at all. It almost borders on sort of bragging. But here John's letter, his Christmas letter, we could say, is to call his believers back to Jesus, back to the center of their faith. He doesn't get too flowery about the events of his life, but he does touch on things he's done. He wants to call them back to Jesus. And that's the call for us this Christmas too, guys. Focus our hearts on Christ. So let's look at verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we've heard, which we've seen with our eyes, which we looked upon, and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we've seen it. Testify to it and proclaim it to you, the eternal life. The, the opening sounds a lot like John's gospel. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. It also sounds like Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning. The word was God, that which we heard, the word of life, verse 1. That word is a central theme for John. The word of God has entered human history. Jesus is not just a good idea or a, a good moral teacher, but Jesus is God in flesh, says John. And John emphasizes his own personal experience. We saw him with our own eyes, he says. We heard him. We touched him with our hands, right? I saw Jesus. I heard his voice. I hugged him. <laughs> he was a real person. Not only is Jesus fully God, but he was God in flesh, a fully human person, real and alive, says John. And notice John says, that which was from the beginning, which we've seen, not, not who was from the beginning. And that can kind of sound like a weird choice at first. But the reason is the, the neuter pronouns, that which was from the beginning, instead of who was from the beginning. It, the idea, I think, is to cover the whole life of the person. Not just the, the person themselves, but all of their words and all of their works. And John is saying the whole sweep of Jesus' life bears importance for us. Not just one thing he did. Not just the abstract idea that God could come to earth, but that it was this man, Jesus, this one I actually knew, and all he said and did, the one we, we knew and came to know as God among us. All of him is important. And that's true for us today, folks. We're not just about Jesus' words. We're not just about good doctrine, though that's important. And we're not just about Jesus' miracles, though we do emphasize the power of the Spirit, and that's important too. But we want to emphasize the whole career of Jesus. This whole person, his life, his death, his resurrection. This is God among us. And why did he come? Well, we know the answer. To save us from sins, we say. That comes off the, rolls off the tongue quite quickly. But why save us from sins? So that we may live, says John. This was the word of life. In him was life, John says in his gospel, verse 4. It's worth noting Jesus doesn't just give a message to explain the meaning of life. 
he is the life. And that abundant salvation life of Jesus begins when we receive him personally, relationally into us. When we welcome him into our hearts. When he makes his home within us. And that life begins, eternal life begins in that moment of repenting and believing in Jesus as our Savior. That's when eternal life begins. And it flows out into the rest of eternity. For John, true life is not about gaining secret knowledge. It's not about personal enlightenment. It's not about simply trying to live like a good person, a sort of therapeutic moralism, thinking, well, I've done some good things in my life. That makes me feel good. I'm a pretty good person. The problem with that is it doesn't address the real evil in our world. But Jesus does. Christianity does recognizes the brokenness in our world, in our societies, but also within you and me. That God has come on a rescue mission through Jesus to undo the power of evil, to undo the brokenness of sin by dying in our place, shedding his blood for us, taking the punishment that we deserve for all our failings, and covering our sins so we may live in him. For John, Jesus' arrival means the ultimate joy of knowing God, knowing that he's good, knowing that he's full of grace. And it's this life, this relationship, this cleansing from sin through Jesus, says John, that we, the apostles, the firsthand witnesses, want to pass on to you. Verse 3, he says, that which we've seen and heard, we proclaim also to you. And why? So that you too may have fellowship with us. The unity of fellowship for the apostles was their shared experience of Jesus. And now John says, we can actually pass that on to others by sharing who Jesus is and what he's done. You get to join in in the fellowship we experience together, the life that we share together, because we know Jesus, you can become part of that. You too may have fellowship with us. And it's not just a fellowship with the apostles, not just a fellowship with fellow Christians, but a fellowship, says John, indeed, with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Folks, this is the foundation of our unity as Christians. This is the center of our faith. John proclaims Jesus is incarnate, God among us, but he's also the word of life. And the life that he comes to bring is a life that blossoms into a community life together, a fellowship with all who believe. It's meant to transform what our communities look like. It informs why we get together on a Sunday. That Greek word for fellowship is koinonia, fellowship and niv and esv other translations may have it differently but koinonia in greek means to have something in common it can mean like a shared work experience so uh the you know james and and john and simon when they're out fishing they are in koinonia as they are working on their fishing together if you're part of a construction crew or uh, a team working on something you are in koinonia as you work together on the project right that's the idea of fellowship. It can mean to have a shared labor. 
It can also mean to have the same experience or to enjoy the gift of a thing together. So on yesterday, we set up our Christmas tree and uh, our children had some koinonia as they <laughs> enjoyed the lights of the tree. Rowan came down this morning and said, I'm just so, I just love that we have a Christmas tree. <laughs> he was just, just, can I turn the lights on? I was like, yeah, you can turn the lights on. He just kind of sat and looked at it, right? He's just, just loving the gift of the tree. Rowan and uh, Noah and Willem uh, were not as in awe, as much as sort of hands-on, you know? There's sort of a like, Rawr. we had like a deer ornament, and Will's favorite word is dia. And so he, dia, dia. So I finally gave it to him. He's like, dia, dia, dia. So off he went. That was his koinonia. He had koinonia with the deer. Noah, meanwhile, was just, you know, trying not to break stuff. Bless him. And, uh, but it was good. They had a, a shared bond over the gift that they enjoyed together, right? And we have a similar thing. This is the crux of John's letter. This is why he writes, is that our Christian community, it's not just a social club, is it? Like as much as there's a getting together part, as much as we're going to get together for 55 plus, or youth might get together, it's not just for socialization. It's not just for a cause. Like we don't just kind of get together to do some projects around town, though that's helpful. There's an element of outreach. We're also not just an intellectual group. Like it's not like we just get together to kind of share thoughtful ideas, though that happens and that's helpful. We're working towards a goal, and that's great. But the center of what we do is the worship of God and our fellowship that's shared by knowing Christ personally, by having experienced him in our lives. You could say that the Christian community is a living partnership, that koinonia of common people who have shared in the experience of knowing Jesus, the life. And we foster that, don't we, in our weekly worship, right? That, that's why we get together. We talk about Jesus. We pray to him. We preach about him. We read scripture about him. And so it's more than just uh, sharing our own kind of private walks with each other. You know, Jesus has done that in my life, and I've done this. You know, he's done this in my life, and that's helpful. But we're actually meant to learn to, to love each other and live out our community life together. It's our commitment to Jesus that is the anchor point of being a Christian personally, but of also being in a fellowship of believers, a local church community. It's about him. And when we focus on other issues, as John's letter seems to indicate that the church was getting sidetracked on things, that's when we can fall into disunity. It's like when you, when you pull the center out of this thing and you remove Jesus, all sorts of other stuff gets in the way. But when you put Jesus back in the center, the fellowship and the joy are restored. Look at verse 4. John says, we're writing these things so that our joy may be complete. There's a joy in passing on what we've learned, passing on the truth that Jesus has come to cover you from your sin and to bring you into new everlasting life. What's interesting is notice what Jesus, or what Jesus, what John doesn't do. He doesn't just lift a, list a whole bunch of virtues. Like if you guys are in disunity, here's all the stuff you need to do. He doesn't just say, try harder at a bunch of things, though that's important. But what he emphasizes is Jesus, their common life together, that this is the central doctrine of their faith, Jesus Christ. And by embracing Jesus and bearing witness about him, 
This is what will get their church back on track. Not just one guy going out to sort of find Jesus on his own or going off to another community, but bringing the whole church back to the gospel. It reminds me of Jesus' words in John where he talks about abiding in, abide in me, abide in the vine. The vine abides in the branches, this sort of living idea of being connected to Jesus as the source of our life. A genuine love for each other that kind of grows out of that. And that's the basis, folks, of, of our fellowship and our life together as believers. But that's not true in every church. I uh, did a little bit of research on this this week. This is an older study, and it's from the States, but I think it still uh, is worth repeating. A George Barna survey in 1991 in the U.S. found that over 90% of the population believed in a god or gods. I don't know if that would be true today, but it's worth, worth noting. The result is religious tolerance and experimentation. That's certainly true all around us. When asked if all the world's religions prayed to essentially the same God, 64% of the public agreed. And even within the church among evangelicals, 46% agreed. That means that in the pews of America's churches in the 90s, possibly two-thirds of the people did not believe in the exclusive and unique character of the Christian message of Jesus' incarnation. I think John would be shocked. The truth we proclaim, God in flesh, cannot be marginalized. It's not just a side note to our coming together as believers. It's the core of our unity. Jesus alone, not just an idea not just a lifestyle is what saves us. Jesus alone is the word of life. This is what we preach. And now some would say, perhaps, are there times when you can put certain beliefs aside so you kind of get a common denominator? You know, what distinctives can you put off to the side for the sake of unity? And sometimes that's a question worth asking. I know uh, in our ministerial association, we have a variety of Christian traditions represented there. But we are united in a common theology of Jesus, our Lord and Savior, who died and rose again for our salvation. And the moment that that center is lost, we cease to be a Christian ministerial. We become something of an interfaith group at that point. And that happens in some circles, unfortunately, where right belief is sacrificed for the sake of unity. Uh, Gary Burge tells this story. He's writing a, his commentary on 1 John. He talks about a friend of his. I thought it was worth noting. This whole theme of keeping Jesus at the center. He said, I had a friend who was in Harvard Divinity School. She learned that one of her professors at the Divinity School, okay, so they're learning theology, one of their professors was an agnostic, which means they believe nothing is known or can be known about the existence of God. The student asked about the range of theological diversity on campus if one of the professors wasn't even a Christian. The reply was, anything goes. The student pushed further. You mean no belief or absence of belief would keep one from being hired to teach theology? Oh, just one, came the clarification. The refusal to endorse women's ordination. <laughs> and regardless of how you might feel on that particular issue, 
I think it's clear from our passage this morning that John puts the anchor down somewhere else than women's ordination. The core of our unity needs to be Jesus. That's the center of what makes us Christians. That's the center of our community life. That's the core of our faith. God among us, his death, his resurrection, his grace for our sins sets Christianity apart from other beliefs. And that is a belief we cannot jettison for the sake of unity. So folks, we are affirming a scandalous claim this morning that there's not just your truth and my truth, but there's an objective truth and there's your opinion. And the objective great truth, the historical reality, is that God is alive and he's entered our world. Emmanuel, God with us. I so appreciate the songs we sang this morning that so affirmed that. And we have the freedom to affirm and celebrate that this morning. That is so good. And that is the truth that we affirm each Advent and each Christmas season. Christ has come. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. I guess the key question for us this morning, and for a lot of you I know are Christians, the key question that comes from this is, do you know the word of life? How can you see and touch and hear Jesus today? And I want to suggest it's not just about doing Christian things or believing certain doctrines, though believing right things and pursuing right behavior is good and part of our formation and part of growing in holiness. But our Christian discipleship is meant to be an experienced relationship with Jesus, an encounter with a living person. And if you've repented of your sin and believed in his name, you know the relationship and the life that we talk about this morning. That God has come to live with us. John 3.24 says, This is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. And 4.13 adds this, We know that we live in him and he in us because he's given us his spirit. That means to be a Christian is to have an ongoing communion with the Lord through the presence of his spirit in our lives. So the big question is, have you experienced the life-giving embrace of Jesus? Or perhaps if you're a Christian this morning, when was the last time you knew the indwelling presence of the Spirit in your life. And if you've never known Jesus, I invite you to give your life to him today. And if you do know him, it's been a long time since you felt his presence or experienced that sense of his love and his life, then I want to invite you to commit yourself afresh to knowing Jesus today, to receive that life that John wants to pass on to those that will listen to his words that the church has committed to preaching through the centuries. And so as we turn to prayer, let's open our hearts to receive the renewal and the refreshing that comes from him who is the word of life. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you came into our world, that you address the brokenness in our lives. Lord, that you've taken 
the punishment for our sin upon yourself, that you went to the cross and died in my place so that I may live, so that we may live, and that this truth has been passed on to us in this generation this morning and is just as alive and meaningful as it was thousands of years ago. God, that you love us. You came to set us free. And that in you is life and renewal, fellowship with one another, fellowship with yourself, Lord. And the true joy that we so often look for in our lives. Jesus, this morning, I pray if there are those that are here or those that are listening from home, and as we pray, if you've never received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I invite you today to simply say, Lord, I believe in you. I give you my heart. I confess my sins. I repent and believe that you died on the cross for me. I want to know the life that you've come to give me. Make your home in my heart, Lord. Set me free. I follow you today as my Lord and Savior. And if you've never prayed that prayer, whether you're watching online or you're here in the building today, I encourage you to do that. It doesn't need to be those exact words. The Bible says if we repent and believe, we're set free from sin and we're saved. If we confess with our hearts, we confess with our mouths and believe in our hearts, we're saved. Lord, thank you that you honor your word, that you've come to set us free. And Jesus, I pray this morning for those that are Christians, those of us that are following you, we've committed our lives to you. But Lord, over this past spring, summer, fall, we felt the life kind of deplete out of us. It's been a difficult time. Lord, this Advent season, we just want to say, Lord, would you, would you help us to set our hearts on you? Amidst all the busyness of work, of school, of the latest news regarding the pandemic, the busyness of getting gifts, figuring out family, Lord, we want to put you first this season. And so, Jesus, if, if there are those that are here today that just feel that need for a renewal of life from you, Lord, would you come right now? Fill us afresh. With the presence of your Holy Spirit, we pray. Lord, we're tired of trying to get by on our own. We're tired of just pushing on each day without taking the time that we so often know we need to take with you and yet neglect to take with you. Lord, we, we pray that you would forgive us. We thank you that you do. The times that we've put our focus somewhere else. This morning, Lord, we say we want to return to this central truth, you alone. Lord, would you come fill our hearts today? Thank you that we can gather. We thank you for this family, this church family. We thank you for those that are serving. We thank you, Lord, for those that need to be at home for various reasons, and we bless them today. Lord, we bless those that are involved in caring for our poor in our community, our healthcare workers, Lord, all those that are involved with navigating this pandemic and all the issues it brings. 
Lord, we pray a blessing over our, our government, over our town council, Lord, our province, our nation. Jesus, would you come and bring your renewal, your life in our land. We thank you, God, for all the good gifts that you've brought us. We pray, Lord, that you would come into our home, come into our hearts today, that you would be the center of our attention and of our lives. Thank you, Jesus, for my friends here this morning. May they go with a real sense of your peace and your presence today. We ask this in your name. Amen. Amen. Friends, would you stand? love to speak the benediction over you before you go. The peace of our Lord Christ go with you wherever he may send you. May he guide you through the wilderness and protect you through the storm. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you. And may he bring you home rejoicing once again into our doors. Friends, go in peace. Love you so much. If you'd like prayer this morning, love to pray with you. If not, have a great week. We'll see you next time.